I do see people who were fans of the hospitality business seeing this as a window of an opportunity to start something. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff. And today I have a repeat guest and someone that I'm very much looking forward to speaking with about a variety of subjects. It is the owner and chef of New York classic Les Rivages, uh, Paul Demagneux. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And merci for having me today. I really appreciate it. And I always love our conversation, even off the air. (laughs) I, I absolutely do as well. And so for those listeners who have not listened to our original interview or our first interview, I would highly recommend you do that. I believe it was recorded sometime in the early summer when things were very different in New York City and the world. And there's a lot of great information that Paul shares about so many different subjects, even the history of New York dining, his own journey. And rather than repeat all of that, I want to jump into some new subjects. But everybody, please go back and check out that podcast. It's great. So, Paul, obviously, when we spoke back in the summer, and I'm talking about, you know, last summer, things were very different. Now, it seems like things are, are, are moving in a, in a positive direction in many ways. I'm just curious, how are things going? What's your experience? And for people who are not familiar, Le Rivage is in the what's called the Theater District or Restaurant Row in New York City. And now with exactly. that, I'll turn it over, Paul. So, so we are ha- having a little bit more of a delayed uh, reintegration with uh, everything that positive direction, meaning that, you know, we we counteract the theaters and we do a lot of work with them. We're associated, you know, we have a symbiotic relationship with the theaters and being that not all of them are open. And in fact, I just learned that Aladdin had to shut down um, yesterday because of COVID. So it's, it's a little bit of a struggle to get back on our feet. I do visit Manhattan mostly for, for dining out experiences and downtown is hustling and bustling. It's, it's like the Roaring Twenties. Other neighborhoods, residential neighborhoods are doing very well. Bars are doing well. But Midtown Manhattan, because we have to deal with the shows and a lot of our clientele are coming for that reason. And a lot of the people who work in those industries are also not employed and able to participate. So there's a little bit of a drought still left in Midtown West and Midtown Manhattan. I agree with your sentiments. I was in New York for the San Gennaro feast. One of my children studies Italian and he got special or extra credit if he took a picture down there and downtown was really bustling. And then I took them to Central Park and it was a very different feeling in that part of New York. Now, one of the things that occurred last summer was when the outdoor dining first began, one of the hottest parts of New York City to go and hang out was Restaurant Row. And I'm curious right. I'm curious if that dynamic continued through this summer and if that's still something that's been going on there in the same way or if that's changed at all. 
Well, obviously, outdoors is reflective of of the weather. If it's a gorgeous day, we're going to be busy. But as you saw, we were hit with so much rain and winds and storms, and it always coincided with the weekends for some reason. You know, always such bad luck. Restaurant Row, as of today, is no longer closed at night. It's no longer pedestrian. They did open up traffic on 46th Street, Restaurant Row, but they did secure both sides of the street for stands and for restaurants to put out their outdoor elements. And so far, it's been successful. I do a majority of our clientele outdoors still. A lot of people still are requesting to be outdoors. Again, we are limited with people having to take the vaccination and proving that and photo ID. And if you're not vaccinated, your only option in New York is to be fed outdoors. So in New York, that's really put a, a divide into where you can eat and the necessity even more so of having that outdoor space. Now, that's that's a good point. It's very interesting because the whole outdoor thing was such a great innovation in many ways. And I'm hopeful that over the coming months and years, it'll continue to serve as a compliment. I mean, nothing can really substitute for the experience. You have such a beautiful dining room as well. And I know you have wonderful music on certain nights to go along with that as well. I know. I pride myself on our interior and our the logistics of how we present ourselves. You know, we we are a very old restaurant. We are a New York restaurant institution. We've been here forever, generational. And I pride myself on trying to maintain the look, the feel of the original restaurant. So of course, modern updates are obligatory. You need to, you know, they have the computer system and whatnot and new technologies. But still, when you walk into the restaurant, you still feel like a classically family-owned establishment like restaurants were meant to be. And it still has that homey feel, that familiar sentimentality of that, you know, when you come in, you, you know exactly already you're surrounded with uh, a good feeling. No, 100%. And what I love about it, and there's beautiful photos on your website, is it combines, for me, having been to France and having grown up and lived in New York, it really is an intersection of a great French restaurant. You can get the feeling you're from France, but also there's that New York element as well. So it it really is beautiful. And even dovetailing on something you had said prior to that, one of the things that I felt and many people that I spoke with in our industry felt over the past year, year and a half, was it seemed at times as if the local and state government was actively hostile and working against the hospitality industry, which was so unfair considering the the central role that the hospitality industry has played in people's lives and in community. And I'm really hopeful that as we usher in what will be a new administration, and again, I'm not making a political comment here. I'm merely making a comment with respect to what I saw and what people shared with me in terms of how this industry was treated. I'm hoping that there's going to be an acknowledgement of the importance of this industry and I'm not even talking about support at this point, just a, a certain level of respect and appreciation and, and cooperation is, I think, very much overdue. Yeah, well, at this point, I'm not counting on support. To shift gears, though, in, in a different in direction. In a positive way. In a positive way, yeah, to shift gears in a, in a positive direction a little bit. One of the themes 
that we discussed in our initial interview was all of the different ways that you had sort of, the way I would characterize it is thought outside of the box in terms of the way that you've utilized your restaurant, the way you've expanded menu options and, and everything else. And I know that there's an event coming up which is going to be a competition about who has the best burger. And you have a phenomenal creation. I'd love to know more about that. Well, I I am so grateful for this recipe that I have at the restaurant. I created this for, I believe, was the 2013 competition at the Food and Wine Festival, the Burger Bash. It's hosted by Blue Moon and Rachel Ray, and it's sponsored by Pat LaFrida. And what they do is, they try to promote in a fun way. You know, they bring out all the chefs and it's just a gathering of all my peers. It's, it's such a fun event and everything. And of course, the charity work that's done, No Kid Hungry, the food bank, it's worthwhile. But it's, it's almost like the gift that gives back more. Like we, we're, we're doing it for a charitable cause. But my God, at this point in my life, I'm getting so much back from it. You know, I get to see my peers again and, and we get it's a friendly competition. But at the end of the day, there is a winner that is crowned, and that's the best burger. There's two. There's actually two possibilities of winning. You can get the popular vote, and then there's a judge's vote, to where they get a lot of chefs or celebrities. I think this year we have Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka. We have uh, we have Josh Capon, who's a peer of mine as a chef. He's going to be a judge. I know Josh. He's a, you know he's a great. He's a great charismatic fellow and. Well, we do. It's, it's just the pride of putting out this best burger. Fortunately, my burger is the only one that's ever won twice the judge's choice. The judge's choice is also is very hard to begin with, but, uh, but to win it twice, I'm the only one who's done it so far. So I'm very proud that they invited me again. I think they've limited because of COVID. I think that the event's going to be a little bit smaller. It's usually 40 40, 42 restaurants. I think or only this year, the count is going to be 30 to 32. So they minimize it just a little bit, but it, it'll be just as exciting. It's just going to be a smaller version of what it is. And this year they're presenting it at the Intrepid Air and Space Museum. So that's it. The, the event space itself is going to be a little bit better and nicer and more original. So that's I'm really cool. To that. Yeah. The Intrepid's a cool spot. I remember taking my two boys there and, uh, blown away by it. I think that's a phenomenal place to have something like this. It's right on the river. And what's great about it, and I imagine this is the case, is I would say, and correct me if I'm if you disagree with me, but when I look at your menu and I think when I've read some of the wonderful reviews that I've seen or that you've shared on Instagram, you're a classic, I don't know if it's a bistro, but a French restaurant. And yet well, you, I, I, I pride myself on like I love the way you present it to me. It's not bourgeoisie. It's not high end. What I'd like to do is offer in a beautiful setting, classic French comfort food. And what I managed to do with the burger is basically I took an American classic comfort food and francophiled it. I use classic recipes to prepare the burger. We have a Portuguese bun as the bun. We have, uh, or like, or like, even an English muffin. You can, I, it's a like a an English muffin Portuguese bun. We use that. Then we make a bechamel sauce, and we incorporate the cheese that transforms the bechamel sauce into a mornay sauce, which is like one of the mother sauces. 
And then I do my own blend. I have what I call a, a blue blend for my choices of meat. And I never divulge my percentages or anything, but it's a great choice. Then we do like um, an Emmental Gruyere melt. We bake it just like we do it on onion soup, but like not just melt it. It's got to be crispy. We, we get it nice and crisp. And then we also do an onion confit. So there's your onion part. So we do an onion confit. Basically, it's, the onions are stewed down as much as possible. I reduce it. I add cognac to it. And we let it reserve itself in its own fat and juices. And then when we saute it again, it sears out all the moist, additional moisture. And it's just like a nice little onion jam on top of the burger. It's, it's perfect. So all that to tell you, when all of that is accomplished, the cheddar, the pièce de résistance, the, the hamburger that that's won so many times, the name of it is the French onion soup burger. And there's nothing more better to have at a French restaurant than the French onion soup burger. No, absolutely. But but and what's cool about it is a lot of times when you see these competitions, and I don't follow it that closely, but when I do see it, a lot of times the people or, or the entities that are competing are really places that just are burger places that one would go to just for that. And what's so cool about what you've created, and I would imagine other participants in this, is you have restaurants that are not traditional burger places, and yet they've taken this American staple and made it their own. And that, I think, is so cool and something I would invite our listeners to consider as they either start their own restaurant or plan their own menu. There's really a enormous amount of creativity and cleverness that can go on with menu creation if it's done properly and if it's based in in authentic elements of the restaurant itself, you know? It doesn't need to be a very busy menu. You know, I always love to see, when I go to a restaurant, that I see that they concentrate on few dishes and, and just express every quality that they can. You know, that's the, the, the workmanship, the quality, the product, you know, the, the style, the presentation, all of that needs to be accounted for. So when I see a menu, when I read a diner type menu, when it's overwhelming and there's too many pages and too many things on a menu, right away I get worried because there's no possible time on earth to implement such quality for so many things. So when I see a menu that has four to six appetizers and the same for entrees and the same, you know, a limited menu, I'm assuming freshness. I'm assuming an expertise now at serving those dishes. I'm assuming that the flavors are going to be complex. I'm assuming that the flavors have been embellished with time, that they've just gotten better and better and better because of repetition and consistency of the recipe. So again, it's just a wonderful delight to come up with at least minimally one dish. At the end of my days, I have, I, I have so many recipes that I can call my own and, and a couple of recipes that are actually famous, maybe even more famous than I am as a chef. <laughs> People talk more about Burger Bash and this hamburger I make than me really doing anything. So it's, it's quite interesting. It's very curious to see how food can like line up, can create an atmosphere, can create a mood, can, can bring joy, can, do, can be the talk of the town, can be like, oh, well, this is the next thing we need to do. So it's always enjoyable. No, absolutely. And I think that that was the case. And I think now it's even more the case. And I completely agree with you. I, I have the same view. I like going into a restaurant where the menu is not ridiculously lengthy because then it does raise, you know, just some common sense questions. Whereas if it's manageable, 
and somewhat targeted. I also have the same anticipation of quality and, and excellence because let's face it, to prepare one dish great. I mean, I was listening to you describe the uh, burger that you're creating and it was a, there, there's so many levels to it and, and it, it's a very complicated thing, even though it's a simple thing, a hamburger, there's a level of complexity and, and execution that's required throughout the entire process and then multiply that throughout your whole menu. It's overwhelming. So I think that that's great. Now, one of the things that I'm curious about is, and we had discussed this the last time, obviously several months ago or beyond, takeout was foundational and at times the only part of the restaurant business that was going. Have you found that to whatever extent you were doing takeout before or what have you, have you found that that dynamic has changed over the past several months? Or have you found that there's been certain upsides where people who were introduced to Le Ravage through takeout have come in? Has that dynamic changed at all? And if so, how? Well, I can only speak for myself. Depending on the type of food you are providing, pizza places are always going to deliver. Chinese food is always going to deliver. French food is not your typical delivery choice. So what I've seen during the pandemic is true fans of Le Rivage restaurants, they weren't left with much choice but to order. So we did see an increase. I definitely saw an increase just from the burger selection because it's such a popular dish. That was one of the go-to delivery items that most people chose. You know, the transport at Duck Lorange and not be able to guarantee its timely delivery is a precious few seconds turns that that crispy duck into a soggy mess. You know what I mean? It's not the best thing to order. Steak, you know, you, a medium uh, a medium rare steak, depending on how you feel it, if it's, if it's not vented properly or or if it, gets, it could either get too cold or it'll steam, it'll steam cook for another degree into a medium, if not a medium well. So these are sensitive, they're delicate items to, to deliver. So I pride myself on maybe creating a few dishes that are, delivery worthy, meaning like the burgers and the stews and things like that. But I have noticed that now that we are open, a lot of the people who were that's you know, not desperate, but they were in love with us and wanted and want to have our food are now coming to the restaurant. So the numbers that are dwindling on delivery, but the dining room experience is augmenting. That's awesome. Now, something I'd like to ask your opinion on, because in addition to being the owner and, and the chef of Le Ravage, I view you as really a thought leader in the industry and someone that has generations of, of experience and visibility. And one of the trends that people were anticipating might occur is because there was so many people changing jobs or reassessing their life, people love to cook, people love the food industry or what they think is required to be successful in the food industry. And there was a, a lot of anticipation that there would be an influx of, of new entrepreneurs, chefs, owners coming into the restaurant space. Now, I know that as far as rent and, and that goes, a lot of the anticipated reductions have sort of dissipated or didn't materialize. But based on your insights into the market, Paul, have you seen a whole new crop of individuals that were not in the hospitality space coming into it, either to open their own restaurant or change careers and get a job as a sous chef or, or something in the kitchen when they were doing something else? Has any of that come across your radar? Well, I'll tell you what I'm experiencing and what I see. So I have 
my personal business here over here that I can expound on. But talking to friends and peers, what I'm seeing happen is the true employees, the true people who are there for the restaurant to because they, they see this as their career. They don't see this as, I'm only doing this for now until I can get something better. Those employees are getting rewarded by being elevated, by being shown more care, by being acknowledged. And it's creating a positive glow in them. It's, it's creating a secureness in, in their abilities. It's creating it's the employees that were proud before, even more so now. So there's a little bit more joy. There's more satisfaction in the job. There's like they're, they're, they're appreciated. On the other hand, you have a lot of people who's like, well, this is not for me. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going geographically differently. I'm going work-wise differently. I'm just changing my whole life. As new businesses, I do see people who were fans of the hospitality business seeing this as a window of an opportunity to start something. And, you know, a lot of spaces are, you can go, go down any block or any street avenue, you'll see, you'll see a, a lot of these boarded up places. And some landlords are, will, are very happy to rent out these spaces now just to see it busy, even if it's at half of what they were collecting before, which is a drastic difference. I see the window of opportunity dwindling. I think we've reached the bottom swing of it, and now we're back on the upswing. But I'm, I think we're going to see a lot of of restaurants that are going to open up. Now, if you ask me the success rates of those, it's going to be hard to predict. You know, I'm assuming these are people who've never done the business and they're going to be surprised and that there's so many difficulties in this industry because there really is. You know, owning a restaurant is is a 24-7. Every day there's a new problem. Every day there's an issue to, to respond to and you're susceptible to so many variances so many you know you're, you can be attacked from every direction you're constantly on edge so you have to you know if you're a practice restaurateur or you're a practice you come from an industry that's high stress maybe uh, you're, you're successful but someone who, who assumes it's just going to be easy cheesy peasy it ain't going to happen now that's a good point that was kind of one of the reasons that i decided to start this podcast was to share information and speak with people that can really describe the challenges and rewards of being in this industry. I think the last time in my career anyway that that we experienced something that was somewhat analogous to what's going on right now was after the the financial crisis in 08. There was a big reset in New York and I I think the way you described it is correct. I think a lot of restaurants came into existence that focused on quality food and simplicity and authenticity. They knew what they were doing. They had great success. I think people who come into it not fully appreciating the challenges have a difficulty. And then I think a lot of people that had established restaurants or concepts are looking to perhaps grow it. But I also agree with you, and I, I think it's worth noting that the window of opportunity is is closing rather quickly because I think people are, are somewhat, maybe they're surprised, maybe they shouldn't be, but how much desire there is for, for people to open up these businesses. And I think the landlords, as you say, quite rightly, are much more welcoming and open to having a restaurant as a tenant than they may have been five, six years ago, which I think is a terrific change. Definitely. 
you know, at this point, bringing life to an empty space is, is inviting and, and joyful. I just know, just looking at Restaurant Row, I'm, like I said, see or closed doors. But I'm seeing new faces. I'm seeing new opportunities. I'm seeing people who have humph, people have, with strength and energy that are trying to like use this opportunity. So I'm hopeful. And Restaurant Row, I see it as a gleaming light of the situation. Because we, you know, I see it us being the hardest hit because we're involved with the Cedar District. But I see us also, when everything's running right, we're also the most blessed. So you have to take the good with the bad. And I've had it very good for the longest time. I worked very hard to create this business. And when all the wheels are turning and everything's going, it's, it's wonderful. But when it comes to a dead stop and you're waiting for the customers to come back, it's painful. But I'm hopeful. I'm very positive. You know, my staff is back. We're doing our best. We're trying, doing our best to create a new clientele. We're trying different angles. We're trying to invite, create new customers. So for me, positivity is the only solution. I completely agree with you. I love what you just said, and I'm also very positive. And I think something that's going to absolutely work to the benefit of Restaurant Row, it may not fully manifest itself for another couple of months, but I bet it already is, is I guarantee you, Paul, that there were people who are lifelong New Yorkers who had never been to Restaurant Row for whatever reason. They're not theater goers or they didn't think to go out to eat before after the theater. But because of the tremendous buzz and energy that was there last summer, Restaurant Row now has an additional level of cachet or awareness that it did not have. I would almost go so far as to say, and I'd love to hear your thoughts because I may be very much off here. I mean, I, I haven't lived in New York for a while, but I was born and raised in New York and I've been to Restaurant Row. And I wouldn't say that there's a touristy aspect to it, but it is, as you say, tethered to the theaters. I think after what we went through this past year and a half, it's as New York and as authentic and as grounded in history as anywhere else. And I think that's going to really act as a uh, really terrific tailwind for the for the community. What What are your thoughts? Well, I believe that right now what the pandemic did is people had to rethink their work ethics. People have to bring their A-game now. You have to focus on better service, better quality, better product, better everything all across the board. And that's true for all the restaurants. It's true for Restaurant Row. And I'm seeing a more rewarded customer now. So today's customer is going to a much better version of New York City restaurants than before. Definitely. I believe that the people who were struggling before because they were either not putting in the effort or they were just there for the money, or like, I think those have been put to the side and did not survive the pandemic. I believe the ones that survived the pandemic or the ones that using the opportunity to create a new life are going to be faring much, much better. I really believe it. I think you're absolutely right. You know, I had the opportunity to speak to many different owners and chefs over the past year and a half. And I was so inspired, among other things, from speaking to people because the level of resiliency, the willingness to be open-minded, the willingness to pivot, and all of those attributes and disciplines don't just go away when the immediate urgency of a stressful situation abate. They become ingrained in the business model. And I, I can even say it for my own business here. Certain aspects where you weren't laser-focused or giving the absolute best there was no room for that over the past year and a half. And so now that 
thank God things are moving in a more positive direction, all of those improvements in performance and culture and focus remain. And I really love what you had to say about that. And I think you're right. And I also think it goes both ways. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think people, even if they were lifelong New Yorkers and had been going to restaurants their whole life, the level of appreciation for restaurants and the people who work there and their importance in the community has gone up dramatically. And so I think that the relationship between the restaurant and the consumer is better and closer and more appreciative than it's ever been. I believe that people really miss being with other people and even the chance of meeting other people. Because how many times would you go out to dinner and without even realizing a whole evening was created. Our friends were made, groups were made, and conversations at the bar were made, and, and then the table next to you. I mean, all of that you take for granted. And now you're realizing, wow, there's, there's, there's a lot more going on than just feeding my face, to put it <laughs> mildly. There's a lot more going on than that. You're interacting with your servers, your hosts, your you know, your bartender, your, even your sushi counter chef and even kitchen staff, you know, you you get this, you're, you're missing out on a lot. You're missing out on experiences. Going out for dinner is the quintessential experience that will always be there because we always need to eat. So what better way than a necessity be and a wonderful experience? No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, as I'm listening to you, I think of so many times when I've had just the most, I just will share one story. I remember several years ago meeting my aunt and uncle from Chicago at, I, the name is escaping me now, but it's the seafood restaurant on Central Park West, right by Central Park. Oh, Maria. Uh, no, not that one. It was uh, not Ocean Grill. It was one of those restaurants. I was affiliated with Isabella's, I think. But in any event, I walk into the restaurant, and my aunt and uncle are sitting there, and they're talking to a gentleman. And as I get closer, they're talking with Daryl Strawberry. And my aunt goes, oh, uh, Stephen, I'd like to introduce you to, to Daryl. We were just talking, having a lovely conversation. And me, of course, being a lifelong New Yorker, I know exactly who he <laughs> is, and so did they. And it was just so cool meeting him. So you're right. You know, you go out to dinner, but in New York, it can often lead to this adventure that you think about years afterwards. And I think that's part of what makes this business so exciting and so special for people. But I have to say, Paul, I could talk to you all day, but I oh. that wouldn't be fair for me to do to you. So what I'd like to do here is, if you wouldn't mind, just share with the audience where they can find Le Ravage on Instagram and in physical person and any other information regarding this burger competition if people want to either follow what happens or go and, and, and enjoy it themselves. Well, if you want to experience Le Ravage, we are on Restaurant Row. We have 340 West 46th Street, right in the heart of Manhattan, basically. This is the capital within the capital within the capital of the world, basically. Le Rivage, it's uh, L-E-R-I-V-A-G-E. And Le Rivage NYC is all across social media, Le Rivage NYC. And if you want a little bit of tidbit on me, I'm Le Chef Paul, L-E, Chef Paul. I'm also on social media. So it's, it's one of my, and I have to interrupt you. It's absolutely one of my favorite Instagram <laughs> accounts because Paul has the most adorable family and he has a new addition <laughs> to this family. And for someone like myself, and I know Paul has older kids as well, but 
that Instagram account really takes me back and it's it's such a joy. So and also there's great content in addition, but I would absolutely recommend oh, anybody you, you. following your personal account. But I apologize for interrupting there. But but right now the focus and the intent on over here is I want everybody to come and buy tickets because it's a worthy cause. It's the food bank, it's the No Kid Hungry. We're doing Burger Bash at the Intrepid on October 15th. It's a Thursday, and it's a wonderful event. And hopefully I'll take the win again with the French onion soup burger, as I've done before. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to crush the competition. Three-peat. <laughs> it's time for a three-peat, like Michael Jordan exactly. and the Bulls, no doubt. Exactly. Oh, well, you know, I always, again, m- myself as well, I love talking to you. Even when we're not doing the podcast, I love talking to you. We always have these great conversations. So, you know... At least now we have them for posterity. A hundred percent. You always lift me up and I always learn something. And I said it on our initial podcast. If you live in New York City and you haven't gone, this is a New York experience. That is almost a must if you're a New Yorker. And if you're coming to New York, you're going to want to go to Le Ravage because it has everything that's wonderful about New York and all the other stuff. And and I really encourage people, because I'm sure everybody got a lot out of this discussion, please check out our original conversation. Paul goes into greater detail on a lot of subjects. That's very, very valuable information. And so, Paul, I wish you the absolute best of luck in the competition. I have every confidence you're going to come out uh, on top again. And I know this is the first of many more conversations we're going to have. Hopefully, we're going to do some more podcasts and we'll have, and hopefully, I'll have some more interesting stories after the Food and Wine Festival. <laughs> I, I look forward to it, Paul. So anyway, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time, um, and I, I look forward to speaking with you again soon. And, and thank you, and thank you for you and your company and your family's company for supporting me for literally the family for generations. So let alone me, but your company and I, we've been through time and it's a it's a classic piece of new york time we've been together for a very very long time and i'm very proud of that as am i paul as am i i'm very proud and i'm very grateful and uh just great talking to you and and have an awesome time in the competition oh thank you so much Stephen. thank you paul thank you for listening to the profitable table fed by woolco foods Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.